0: service later this evening at five o'clock. I'd invite you to jump in here maybe a few minutes early uh, just because we know we'll have a full house and help everybody get seats. We're going to have to do some squinching in. Little ones may have to jump in mom and dad's laps. We'll just see what kind of a crowd we get later this evening, but look forward to sharing that time together with you at five o'clock. And Pastor G is also going to make an appearance. Uh, At least that's the word on the street for those of you who remember those videos. Um, Well, anyhow, good morning. Good to see you on this Christmas Eve Sunday. How about that? Um, hope all of your shopping's done, right? There's still a little time left. A little, but it, there is a little time left. Um, I want to begin by sharing with you today uh, some words from one of my favorite old time songs. This is a song by Percy Sledge. This is Percy Sledge here, and the song's called Take Time to Know Her. When my girls were little, we loved dancing around the living room when they were little, and uh, we'd have fun dancing to this song. And so here are some of the lyrics from this song. Uh, begins, I found a woman I truly loved. She was everything I'd ever been dreaming of. But she was bad, and I didn't know it. All I knew was what I could see, and I knew I wanted her for me. Percy was smitten, and he's talking about how he was just falling in love with this young lady. He goes on to say in the song that he took his young this young gal home to his mama, and his mama pulled him over to her side, and she gives him some advice, and she says to him, Son take time to know her it's not an overnight thing take time to know her please don't rush into this thing now Percy sang that another octave up but you know give you a little sense of the tune right Um, in our story from the scriptures today there was actually a bet going on whether or not I chicken out on that so In our story from the scriptures today, we find a young man who also falls in love for this young gal, and he thinks she is everything that he's been dreaming of. But newsflash, she has been cheating on him with another man, or so he thinks. And so that's our text uh, today. It comes from Matthew chapter 1, verses 24 through 25. I'm going to ask if you would to stand to your feet for the reading of God's word. Matthew chapter 1, verses 24 and 25. Here we go. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. You may be seated. Thank you so much. All right, so we're going to come back to those verses here in just a little bit, Uh, but that those verses are the tail end of a section that begins back in chapter eighteen or verse eighteen, and I want to build a little bit of context as we walk toward those verses together. So let's start at verse 18. It says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way, when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph. Let's stop right there. The Jewish concept of betrothal is similar to our concept of an engagement period. It was similar in the idea that this is a young man and a young woman who are beginning to plan for their new life together. One of the first things that they need to do is to secure some kind of housing. So perhaps the young man would add a house onto the family home or the family uh, you know, generations that live together, um, and so he might add a room onto that home, or perhaps they might find some place all new for them to live together. They've also got to provide for a way, uh, they've got to figure out a way to provide for themselves, and then also there's this wedding to plan for, but the Jewish betrothal is different from the, uh, from our modern uh, engagement period, in that in modern times, if a gal decides that, you know what, I, I just think I'm, I'm, this is the wrong decision, that I shouldn't be marrying this guy. Well, she can then just take the ring off her finger, hand it back to the fella, and that's the end of that engagement. There's not going forward with the wedding. Same thing with the groom. If he decides that he's having second thoughts, that he's got cold feet, that he doesn't want to get married to this gal, he simply just needs to tell her, hey, look, I don't think that this is something we ought to do. And then they don't um, get married, and that's that. But in a Jewish betrothal, papers have already been signed. Uh, verbal agreements have been struck between the families. There's a lot more legality to the Jewish betrothal than to our modern engagement. Um, so, to undo a Jewish betrothal, actual divorce papers have to be filed. Back to verse 18. Before Mary and Joseph came together, that is before the day of the wedding, Mary was found to be with child. That means Mary was pregnant. There's a knock on the door. Is Joseph home? Joseph appears in the doorway. He's surprised to see his bride-to-be, but happy to see her. And he says, Mary, uh, what's going on? What do I owe this pleasure? And he can see, though, that Mary's got a little bit of a concerned look on her face. Mary says, "Uh, Mary, she says, Joseph, I I don't know how to tell you this, but I'm pregnant. Now, Joseph wasn't born yesterday. Joseph knows that baby's not his, right? He knows that uh, he had nothing to do with that. He knows how this works. Clearly, Mary has been unfaithful. She tries to pass off this story to him about an angel that's visited him and how the angel said that she was miraculously going to conceive as a virgin. And he's like, yeah, 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 okay, all right, Mary, we know how the world works. So Mary's in a pretty tight spot. And Joseph thinks to himself that, you know, hey, look, I thought I knew her. I thought I had taken time to know her. But nevertheless, I should have listened to Percy and spent a little bit more time getting to know this gal. So what does Joseph decide to do? Verse 19. And her husband, Joseph, notice that the scripture refers to Joseph and Mary in this betrothal state as husband and wife. They're already legally heading toward that, and the scriptures regard them as married. Um, And her husband, Joseph, just being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Now, Joseph has a choice here. He could have, if he wanted to, bring Mary forward into a public trial. He could have drug her out in front of her family, in front of the whole town, and had this whole big public thing that would have exonerated him publicly of any sort of wrongdoing here, of any sort of um, capitulation with with the situation. Uh, But Joseph, it says, was unwilling to do that. He knew that Mary had a difficult road ahead, and he did not want to pile on any more than she was already dealing with. Remember, these folks are living in a small town. Scholars say that Nazareth or Bethlehem was around, uh, no, I guess it Nazareth then. Nazareth was around a thousand, a population of about a thousand people. This is a small town. And a lot of them are probably interrelated even distantly. So he's probably related to half the people in the town. So, I mean, this news spreads to everybody in town. Everybody knows about it. Everybody else knows everybody else's business. They had strict moral expectations as well. Remember, this is a first century Jewish community. And getting pregnant with another man while you were engaged to someone else, was somewhat frowned upon. So Mary is in between the proverbial rock and a hard place. And Joseph mercifully decides not to pick at her. Let me paraphrase what happens next. Joseph has a dream, and in this dream an angel visits with him. And the angel says, Joseph, fear not to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. This is indeed a miracle. Verse 24. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife. That is, he did not change the date for the wedding. He let the invitations go out. He showed up at the altar. They exchanged their vows together. And Joseph took his place in this somewhat scandalous story. Joseph is basically admitting to everybody in his family, to her dad, to the family, to the larger family, to the community, that, yeah... I mean, this is, this is my baby. It would be like um, somebody committing a theft in your neighborhood, nobody knowing who did it, everybody upset about it. And then all of a sudden you're stepping forward and saying, hey, um, I'm the thief. I'm the one who stole from so-and-so down the street. Can you imagine the, how everybody in the neighborhood would look at you from that point forward? This is what Joseph is facing. Not only that, but imagine the conversation again with Mary's dad. Do you suppose that Joseph went to her and tried to explain the situation and talk about these dreams that they had had, talk about these angels that had visited with her, the angel that had visited with him? Do you think he tried to share some of that, or did he simply keep his mouth shut and say, you know what, I didn't believe Mary when she came to me. Why would her dad believe anything that I'm telling him? Perhaps he just kept his mouth shut, said yes, sir, and took whatever it was that was coming. Nevertheless, Joseph took his place in the story. He allowed his reputation to be impacted by all of this, even though, again, no wrongdoing had been done. Joseph even leans into the story. You come to verse 25, it reads, look, But Joseph knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and when the baby was born, Joseph called his name Jesus. When a Jewish father names the son, even in the case of adoption, he is claiming that son as his father. All right, that is our treatment of this text for today, which means it's time for us to stop here and ask the question that we ask every week around here. What difference does all this make to my life? Great question. Let's see if we can answer that. Let me say, first of all, that Matthew, in these first two chapters of his gospel, puts the focus uniquely on Joseph. Um, He tells the genealogy of the Lord Jesus in Matthew chapter 1 Through the bloodline of Jesus' adoptive father, Joseph. Um, When we get to this verses that we're looking at here, it's Joseph that has the dream. And it's Joseph that is instructed to take Mary as his wife. We know that Mary had also had an angel visit her. We learn about that over in Luke's Gospel. But here in Matthew, he doesn't focus on Mary. He's putting the focus on Joseph. Obviously, Jesus is the subject of all of this material but it's told through the experience of Joseph. A little bit later in chapter 2, as we learned in the past several weeks, it's Joseph who has a dream, who's instructed to flee and go to Egypt because there's this guy named Herod that's going to want to try and come and uh, knock off the competition, knock off baby Jesus, the one born king of the Jews. It's Joseph who then again has a dream, and he's instructed to go back home because Herod's dead, and so it's safe for them. It's Joseph that has a dream once again that, hey, don't go to Bethlehem, but go on up to Nazareth. So again, the story of the Lord Jesus in the birth of the Lord Jesus is told through the experience over and over again here in Matthew's gospel uh, through the story of Joseph. Now compare that to Luke's gospel. In Luke chapter 3, we learn about Mary's genealogy, and so we see Jesus' bloodline tracing back to David, but through Mary's side of the family. Mary's the one who uh, is reported to have this child, and then Elizabeth has a child that's going to be called John the Baptist later on, and the two women come together, and the babies leap in the womb, and they come near one another. It's Mary who gets on the back of the donkey and is led down to Bethlehem. It's Mary who has all these experiences. It's Mary that the shepherds come and visit with, and she's a a prime uh, character in that story in Luke's gospel. But again, here in Matthew's gospel, he puts the focus on Joseph. And so I thought it might be appropriate to take some time to see what we might learn from this great man of God, Joseph. Because notice, it is Joseph who is going to train up the future savior of the world in the way that he should go it is joseph the father of jesus christ that matthew puts a focus on here and so i thought it might be appropriate for us to ask what does joseph what might joseph teach us so um, let's take a look at a few lessons that we might learn from joseph's example here lesson number one when wronged joseph's response struck a balance between justice and mercy. When wronged, Joseph's response struck a balance between justice and mercy. Take a look again at verse 19. Look at how Joseph responds to Mary's, news of Mary's pregnancy. It says, Being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, it says he resolved to divorce her quietly. Again, Joseph could have been asked or could have asked for a big public trial, he could have drugged Mary out in front of the family, he could have drug her out in public, and he could have exonerated himself publicly and just washed his hands clean of the whole thing and been like, this is Mary's situation, I had nothing to do with it. He could have done that. That was his legal right to do. But rather than follow the letter of the law, Joseph tempered his response with compassion and mercy. Now Joseph was still planning on filing divorce papers. He realized that this is something's happened here that he can't be a part of. So he was still doing what the law allowed, but he was doing it in a way that again maximized compassion, that maximized mercy in this difficult situation. You know, Matthew did not have to report this little tidbit of information often ask that question. Why do I need to know that? Why, why, did, why did Matthew put this in the text? And one of our Sunday school teachers is down here applauding right now. Rightly, right? Why, why is this information in here? Why did we feel like we needed to know this? Again, Matthew writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit affords us ins- this insight to show us the kind of man that raised the future Savior of the world. This passage shows us that Joseph's instincts were not to crush those who had wronged him, but rather to exercise justice tempered with mercy. In terms of our relationships with the co-workers or even with our children, do we find that we're always needing to win the conversation? Sometimes, right? Maybe we are right. Maybe maybe the other person really is wrong, but always having to win the conversation is that justice tempered with mercy. In terms of our marriage relationships, sometimes your spouse has done something or said something that requires forgiveness. Do we then, f- do we forgive only then to bring it up again the next time there's a disagreement? Continuing to dangle out in front of them the wrong that they had committed all those years back ago, continuing to remind them, well, you remember that time when, you know, we're losing the conversation. Well, let me bring up that thing that I had supposedly forgiven. You know, true biblical forgiveness means forgiving someone and then never and i repeat never bringing it back up again aren't you glad that the god that we serve who forgives us doesn't dangle our sins in front of us ephesians chapter 4 and verse 32 paul writes be kind to one another tender hearted forgiving one another as god in christ forgave you friends joseph is a giant among men. Is it any wonder why the Lord Jesus, when a woman who had been called in adultery was brought out in front of him, an accusation very similar to what his mother faced when she was carrying him, responded in that situation, let he who is without sin cast the first stone. You know, the instincts of the rabbis of Jesus's day were to pummel the wrongdoer, The instincts of the rabbis of Jesus' day were to publicly shame anyone who did not live up to their standards. Friends, I am so glad that the man who raised the future Savior of the world was Joseph and not one of those rabbis. If one of those rabbis with all of their self-righteousness and mercilessness had been the one to raise the Lord Jesus, then perhaps Jesus' words from the cross would have been, Father, annihilate them. Or, Father, avenge me. But instead, his words were, Father, forgive them. Friends, even when he had been wronged, there was an instinct in this man Joseph not to lay on the horn. uh, Some of y'all didn't catch that yet. But to temper his response with mercy. Lesson number two. Lesson number one is when wrong, Joseph's response struck a balance between justice and mercy. Lesson number two, Joseph obeys without fuss or objection. Flip back with me to verse 24, verse 24. It says, when Joseph woke from sleep, he did. As the angel of the Lord commanded him, he took Mary as his wife. Notice the complete lack of negotiation. Joseph didn't wake up from that dream get his instructions, his mind is clear, he knows what he's supposed to do, and then he enters into a period of negotiation with God. God, are you sure about this? He's got 20 questions for God about that. No, instead, he doesn't hesitate about his marching orders. He doesn't push back against what's been asked of him. Rather, Joseph receives his orders from God and promptly obeys. As we noted earlier, this is going to cost Joseph his reputation in the community. This is going to cost Joseph in terms of family relationships. We see this same response of obedience repeated over and over in the rest of Matthew's birth narrative. Joseph is instructed later on to take the baby Jesus and his mother, flee to the foreign land of Egypt. Don't you suppose that Joseph could have asked, is that necessary? Don't you suppose that Joseph could have hit the brakes and said, Lord, why should I leave the land of my forefathers? Why should I leave everything familiar? Why should I leave the nation of Israel and go down to some foreign land that I've never been to before? God, don't you see that, mothers, that Mary's already rode all the way down here from this donkey? We've got, we're living in a town that's not where we're from already. And God, don't you see that she doesn't need to be getting back on a donkey and taking this little infant someplace else? And besides, God, I don't see any soldiers circling the town. I hadn't heard word of any siege of Bethlehem. God, you've turned our lives upside down. Is that how Joseph responded? No. Joseph obeys without fuss, hesitation, or objection. Friends, this may be one of the hardest lessons for us to get right. When God speaks, my instincts are to object, my instincts are to hesitate. When God speaks, I want to enter into a period of negotiation. I want to weigh out. God, what is it that you're asking me to do? And, and can I, do I feel like I'm up to the task? Do I have what it is that's necessary to accomplish what you're asking? This reminds me of the story of Noah in the Old Testament. Here's a guy who has, get this, never seen rain before. And God tells him he's going to flood the earth. With what? Well, this water is going to fall from the sky. Okay. But Noah, nevertheless, God tells him to build a boat. What's Noah do? Builds a boat. The New Testament writer in Hebrews uh, chapter 11 picks up on this. It's the Cooper's Daniel of the Old Testament. He heralds Noah for his remarkable obedience. What difference does this make to your life and to mine? Well, when God shows us what he wants us to do, how do we respond? Do we procrastinate? Do we ignore what God told us? Maybe it'll just go away. Maybe what God is asking us to do is embarrassing. Maybe what God is asking us to do is humiliating. Maybe what God is asking us to do takes us outside of our comfort zone. So we're just not interested. Maybe it just doesn't make sense to us. Friends, look, this is not how you please God. This is not how Noah lived. This is not how Joseph lived. This is not how God wants you and I to live bottom line is when God asks us to do something, he wants us to do it exactly the way he tells us to. It doesn't matter if it makes sense. It doesn't matter if we can't figure it out. It doesn't matter if it's embarrassing. It doesn't matter if it requires humility. God wants it done the way God wants it done. Uh, Share a little story here with you. Years ago, uh, when I was coming along through high school... Uh, you know, I was a pretty good kid in town. I'm going to start this story out this way, right? I was a pretty good kid. But we had some stuff that we got into that was what we shouldn't have been doing. Like, we were out messing around mischievous at night. And uh, I, I, maybe I'm not going to tell you the specifics on all that. But in any case, the Lord told me very clearly, even as a high school student, one, you need to stop doing this. And I was like, but I, I'm having fun. It's, it's fun. I don't want to stop doing this. And so I just kept doing what I was doing got off to college, left town, and the Lord just kept hitting on my heart that I needed to go and make some amends for some of the stuff, silliness that I had done when I was in school, high school. And I just always felt like, you know, God, that's a big ask. Are you sure that I'm I'm not going to get like thrown in jail from some of these people that are mad at me for what, the things that I was doing? And, uh, I got off to seminary. I got off into ministry. I was a youth pastor down in South Georgia. And then one year when we went home, Claire and I went home with the girls for Thanksgiving, every time, up till then, every time I'd close my eyes and I'd pray and I'd spend time with the Lord, it was like that thing that he wanted me to go and make amends for would pop up into my brain. And I'm like 15 years of this. One, I'm kind of sick and tired of hearing about it, right, Lord? (laughs) Maybe we just won't talk anymore. But the Lord always wanted me along the way to go and make amends. And I'll tell you, there was a time we went home for Thanksgiving one year, and it was just crawling all over me. And I'm finally like, okay, Lord, I don't have the answers. I don't know how this is going to go. But I'll go knock on those doors, and I'll talk to those people, and I'll say that I'm sorry. And I did. And... I remember going into the home of one of the families, uh, just up and down the road where we had been mischievousing. And it was an older couple. And I sat down at their dining room table. And I had already been to a couple of their houses. I sat down at their dining room table. And you're like, well, Gordon, I really got to know what this is. right? (laughs) See me after church. (laughs) I don't want it on record, right? (laughs) And uh, so I remember sitting down at their dining room table, older couple. And they were a Christian couple. And I told them I was in ministry. I told them what I had done. I told them about my prayer time. And they I just began. I just lost it, right, because I do that. I just lost it, sitting there at their dining room table. And they prayed over me, and they said, Son, we forgive you. Don't even give this another thought. But they were so thankful that I would come by that day. Something that had happened 15 years ago. <clears throat> Friends, when we follow God with obedience... Yeah, it might be a, uh, there might be some stuff out there that's a bit out of our comfort zone, some stuff that we don't have all the answers to. But I'll tell you, the other side of obedience is freedom, unlike you have ever experienced before. So let me conclude today with a couple questions. What is a follower of Christ has God been asking of you? Has God been asking you to seek somebody's forgiveness? To humble yourself in front of them, even though it may be a little embarrassing or a little humiliating? Has God been asking you to forgive somebody, but frankly, just not interested? Has God been asking you to speak to somebody about their need for Christ, but if you do, you know that you're going to pay a price for it? Or maybe God has asked you to stop dating somebody, that you know you have no business dating, or maybe the relationship physically has just gone beyond what you know is honoring to Christ. You need to hit the brakes and you need to draw some lines in the sand. Or maybe God's been asking you to stay off a late-night TV or to stay clear certain websites. Maybe God's been asking you to get serious about beating that drinking problem or about beating that gambling problem or about beating that drug problem, a problem that you know is dishonoring to Christ, and it's hurting your life. Or maybe God's been asking you to surrender your life fully to him and that he wants to have a daily appointment with you. What's God been asking? Now, I know it's going to take more than just our will to be able to be obedient. Uh, It's going to take the power of God working through his Holy Spirit in your life. But here's the thing. If our intention going forward is anything less than 100% obedience, the Holy Spirit of God can't work in that environment. Our intention has to be, you know what, God? I don't have all the answers here, but I'm willing to take the step I'm willing to go where you're asking me to go. And friends, when we present ourselves to God that way, the Holy Spirit of God rushes in and gives us the power to do what we cannot accomplish in and of our own strength. You say, Gordon, nobody's perfect. Correct. But again, if my intention is when I walk out of the house every day to give God 50% obedience, again, that's not the obedience that God can work with. I may not get it right 100% of the time, but my intentions need to be that, God, I'm going into this day intending to give 100% of myself in obedience to you. Friends, it worked miracles in the life of Joseph, and it will work miracles in your life as well. Let's pray. Most gracious God, thank you for visiting with us this morning. Thank you for giving us fresh wisdom of situations that we may be experiencing in our own lives. Um, You're not a God who is disconnected and who doesn't care. You're a God who wants to be intimately involved in every detail and every aspect of our lives. Thank you for being a father like that. Lord, if there's some stuff that you've been asking us to uh, surrender over, some stuff where we need you to take uh, charge Lord, we just ask in this time of communion this morning, we'd hand those things over to you, that we would again this morning, even if we've made mistakes in the past, but say again this morning, God, my desire is to be 100% obedient to you. Because I know, Lord, that when I put my life in your hands like that, you will work miracles. Your hand will push back boundaries and break down barriers. And Lord, I will see the power of God unleashed in my life. Lord, that's what we want today. We pray these things in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.